Welcome to Tales of Moxie. I'm Desiree. And I'm Jenna Lee, and we're your hosts each week. Each week, we interview women to hear their stories, and we address topics that don't usually get talked about so openly. Be ready for honest and raw conversations about all the things we're struggling with as real women. Hey everyone, our guest in this episode is Carrie Powell, and she is one of the most amazing people I got to know in such a short amount of time. She shares her struggles through becoming a wife to a new pastor, having a newborn, picking up, moving across country, starting a new life, and a new church in a place that was foreign to her and her family. Her struggles through realizing that she suffered from depression, getting help, not getting help, and finding out she's pregnant again within under a year's span. I can tell you that even though she's struggled and been through hell's fire and back, God is using that fire inside her to fuel and inspire others. You'll enjoy listening to this real story that Carrie had the courage to share. Here she is. So welcome to the podcast. We are super excited to have you. I have known Carrie, goodness, since what were we? Like five or century. Yeah, really young. Um, we were involved in all sorts of circles together, I think. Mm-hmm. Our paths always crossed. Um, yep. I think we were in and out of friendships and yeah. friendships and drama and teenage horror stories that I never want to look back on. Um, <laughs> but I am excited that our paths crossed again and you have been so inspiring to me. I have watched your journey and um, what you've been sharing online and you really have been inspiring to me and a lot of other people. So I'm excited to have you with us. And I know that you've talked a lot about postpartum depression and your struggle with that. So I'm going to start with a few questions with that because I know that our listeners, I know we have some listeners that have struggled with that as well. So the first thing um, I want people to know is that you're a pastor's wife. Yes. So you are right in the middle of all of the Christian stuff, right? Yes. Air quotes, Christian stuff. Yes. Yeah. And you probably are involved in a lot more stuff than we are for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a different, uh, you learn a lot more when you're on this side of the church than when you're just like in the pew part of the church. It's a little crazy. I bet. So how was that then struggling with postpartum depression and being so in the middle of being a pastor's wife and having your husband be center in a lot of things and all of that? How was that for you? So it all, the beginning of our journey was really crazy. Um, My husband graduated from seminary Two weeks later, our daughter was born, and then two weeks later, we moved across the country from North Carolina back to California. Um, we didn't have a place to live, so then with a two-and-a-half-week-old, we were bouncing back and forth between my parents' house in the Central Coast and my in-laws' house um, down here in the high desert, um, and then we finally got our house, and uh, we live in the Parsonage, which is right next to the church, and we uh, were thrown into this very small church with these very uh, different ideals than than our ideals um, and a very different understanding of Christianity than our understanding of Christianity. So that was a really hard transition for us. Um, additionally, they had never had a pastor, a young pastor and a pastor with kids ever. So it was a really difficult transition for them to understand that he was their pastor, yes, but he also had this role as a father and as a husband that was more important to him 
as far as priorities go. So our family always comes first for him, um, which is such a blessing. And um, they needed help with those boundaries. So it was really difficult at first and they were really, um, they were hard to pull along into understanding what those boundaries should be. And because of that, there was a lot of resentment that was going on. Um, so they were trying to figure out all of how to handle us while we were also trying to adjust to living in the desert again and living in a very, very conservative area where we had just moved from a very well-educated, upper-middle-class, liberal area. It was totally different. Um, and then just coming out of seminary where we were always surrounded by really highly educated people who maybe we didn't necessarily agree with, but we were always able to have um, really respectful conversations with, and that wasn't the case here. So um, all of that happened within like the span of a month. Um, and then um, I started working a brand new job. So we did all of the things that you're not supposed to do all at once, like the high stress things. We did them all within like a two month period. Um, so at that point, I was struggling with postpartum depression, but I didn't know I was struggling with postpartum depression um, because we just had so much going on. And a lot of it I attributed to the culture shock. Um, I was very upset to leave North Carolina. I loved where I lived. Um, so that adjustment, there was a lot of resentment towards the whole move. Um, and then all of a sudden being thrown into this position where everybody sees me as this holier than thou, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, I am a very outspoken person. I'm a very opinionated person. Um, and I wasn't able to to share any of that with anybody and we've been here two years and I still haven't been able to be myself in church because of this position that I hold and because of the the congregation and how my husband is trying to make change um, so all of this is happening I'm not making any real connections and any real friendships and I'm struggling with um, this depression and these ups and these downs um, in addition to the stress of a new job and still learning how to keep a child alive. It had only been like two months. Um, so there was just a lot. And then that December, no, that November, um, we had the house tested for uh, mold and they found that the entire parsonage was filled with black mold. Mm. So we ended up moving out of the parsonage and we were basically homeless for about two and a half months. We were living um, in hotels. And so every two days we would move to a new hotel um, with an eight month old. And um, Alex was still working at the church. I was still doing my job and we were all trying to cope with this. And that was also the point where both of us, we were so unhappy and we had been using food to medicate ourselves that we are now both severely overweight and very unhealthy. And it just, everything kept piling on and we felt like we were drowning. So we started exercising. Um, we started connecting with, a community of people who also were needing to lose a significant weight, um, who were full-time working people. Um, we moved back, started to finally calm down. And that's when we really noticed like, Hey, you're, you're not getting better. You're still really struggling with, um, like you're sad all the time and one minute you're, you're up here. And then the next day you have like this really low, low like what's going on. So, um, at the beginning of last, summer yeah so uh, I found out I was pregnant 
in February. <laughs> like, so how old was Lainey at this point? Eight months old. Okay. She was eight months old. We had just moved back into the parsonage when I found out I was pregnant. Um, and that was also a surprise for us um, because she was not planned. Um, we had been using contraception and apparently Jesus just really wanted her to come. So she came. Um, so all of this happened. I found out I was um, pregnant and I really didn't want to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, I need to go see somebody because you hadn't seen anyone f about it before you were pregnant. Yeah. Wow. No, because we had had transition after transition after transition. There was no real time to actually breathe. So by the time there was time to actually breathe, that's when both of us sat down and said, okay, something isn't right. This is not how I normally feel. This isn't how I normally cope. So at the beginning of last summer, I went to, um, a psychologist and got um, like an intake. I did assessing and they told me that I had postpartum depression and PTSD from a prior abusive experience that I had. Um, and so they had the diagnosis and the doctor said, okay, you need to be seen every week for therapy sessions. And I also want to put you in group therapy, but I don't have anything free for another uh, four months. Wow. Um, so I waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. The day came, she called that morning and said, I'm going to have to cancel because my son is sick. So I waited four months. I hadn't received any therapy. So that's when I then went to a psychiatrist and said, okay, if I can't receive therapeutic services, I need some help. I have a young child. Lainey had just turned one. Um, so I have a young baby at home. I'm working full time as a teacher. I'm a pastor's wife. I'm pregnant again. I need help so desperately. So they put me on antidepressants until I could get therapy. And I didn't actually receive any therapy until um, after Evangeline was born, which was last November. Wow. So um, I went from May of 2017 to January of 2018, where I had a diagnosis and the doctor said, we need to see you, we need to see you, we need to see you, we don't have time for you. Um, so that was really hard too, because I was already going through this, like really this, this low, this really low, low where I, in your head, when you're depressed, um, you have no real control over your thoughts. And so something really illogical will creep into your mind and then it just stays there and it grows and grows and grows. So for me, the, the message that kept getting stuck in there was that I wasn't important to anybody. And so the reason that my sisters-in-law were always too busy to do anything was because they, they hated me and I would write down in there. They don't hate me. They're busy too. They have children. They have things to do. And they both live over two hours away. But I got this. I got so fixated on it. Um, and so with all of those months going through without a doctor being able to see me, um, I got that message stuck in there too that, okay, well, this this means that I, I have no value to anybody else. No one else is seeing this as a real problem. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned, but the... Um, the big thing that made Alex and I say, okay, we need to look into therapy was uh, we were driving up to my parents' house in Atascadero and Lainey had been crying for about three hours and she wouldn't stop. And I had this thought in my head, like, you know what? I could make this stop by just crashing the car on the side of the road. Mm. And I stopped the car instantly and I said, honey, I need you to drive because I just, I, I, 
I just thought of killing our whole family. Um, and so that was like the moment. So the doctors took that very seriously, but not seriously enough to make room. And so I was like, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. Um, finally, when I started receiving services, I was seen once a week and I also had group therapy. So I was doing therapy twice a week. Um, I got an extension on my maternity leave for disability um, so that I could be seen regularly and get to a place where I could manage it. Um, but then I was called back to work early and um, I went from going twice a week to then going no time at all. Um, and that was a really hard transition as well. So I have tools that um, I've been given. I'm going back now, which is really helpful, but um, I've been given the tools. Um, I've been given some resources to help me kind of cope with it. Um, but this entire time, all of this is happening, people at church found out. And their idea of depression is, um, it's not a real thing. It just means that you aren't believing in God enough. Mm -hmm. Your faith isn't strong enough. And that's why you feel so depressed. That's why you feel, because you're far away from God. Yeah. And if you're close to God, then you're not going to feel that way. But if you're far from God, obviously you feel that way. Um, so there was a lot of that happening um, behind the scenes at church um, and a lot of like people addressing me through my social media because it is a story that I've been sharing pretty openly on social media, just knowing that there are other women who deal with this. And for whatever reason, women don't talk to each other about this stuff. And I don't understand why, because it's such a necessary thing um, to get through. I've found so much community in the fact that I'm sharing this with other people um, of other women who are struggling with the exact same thing um, or who have the same thoughts or who are offering me other tools that they learned through their therapeutic sessions. And it's been a really valuable experience and it's been very liberating sharing it so openly but because it's on social media and it's an open account anybody can see it and so there were parishioners who were seeing it um, and commenting on it um, openly at church or there's just a little gossip you know that would go around behind the scenes and because I am the pastor's wife it was I feel like exponentially spread because we are in this fishbowl and so then it reflected on how they thought my husband could do his job because mm -hmm. if your wife isn't being faithful because mm -hmm. she's depressed, then you're not leading your family. You're mm -hmm. not being the head of your household. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was some conflict for him as well at work, which was really struggle, a uh, struggle for both of us. Um, there was a lot of guilt that I was feeling that this was now being put on him. Um, but there was a lot of anger and there's a lot of resentment and it's still something that we're dealing with right now. Um, because again, it's just, it's a, an interesting community of people who I really truly believe they think that they are loving well and that what they're doing, um, is, a product of their faith. I really truly believe that they think that this is it's for the best. Um, but I really do think that they have a different idea of, of Jesus um, than I do. Um, Did you have anyone come alongside you from the church? Anyone come out and reach out to you and no. it's all judgment? No, 
yes. Um, and that's how it's been from the day, the first day, right? I get judgment about how we parent our children. Mm-hmm. I get judgment for the fact that I'm a working mom and I don't stay at home. I get judgment for the fact that I'm not teaching Sunday school or playing the stupid piano like all good pastors I should. Mm-hmm. I get judgment for not visiting people at ch- um, in like the hospitals. And there's a lot that goes with it. But as soon as the depression diagnosis came and people found out about it, then it was a reflection on my lack of faith. Um, so fortunately I was in a place where I was going to therapy. I was able to talk about it with my therapist. Um, and I then reached out to people on social media. Um, so that was a really, really helpful outlet for me. Um, but yeah, people from the church haven't engaged themselves in the healing process. Um, it's been more of kind of this tough love approach is what I think they think it is. Hmm. Which is interesting because then I'm thinking of how Christianity becomes more of a burden and a weight during that time than anything else. So I couldn't imagine having to be a pastor's wife, no less, but even just a Christian thinking that's the last place I would want to go when I'm feeling that way. Exactly. Yeah. It's been really hard. Um, It's not a place of worship for me. Um, And my husband is not my pastor. My husband is my husband. Um, So that is another difficult thing is... um, not having a pastor to go to um, or someone I trust to go to um, because I've been fortunate enough for the past couple pastors to have really had a a strong relationship where I could go and talk very openly and very freely without judgment. Um, That wasn't always the case, but from um, college onward, we've had a really good report with the different pastors we've had. And now I'm in a place where I don't have a pastor so much. I have my husband who is the pastor. Um, and there's a whole different Sunday mornings are different. Sunday mornings are for work. Sunday mornings are not for worship. So finding other ways to worship as well through this whole experience um, has been a, a trial. What does that look like for you now? Oh gosh, um, I'm finding different ways to honor the talents that I've been given um, and the, the different gifts that I have. So um, I really love gardening. Um, being outside and being a part of nature is something very spiritual for me, um, which is one of the reasons that the transition from North Carolina out to the <laughs> desert was so hard for me because there's nothing living out here. It's the worst. Um, so being out in my garden is really helpful. Um, we have a small farm out here on our property, which is nice. We have a cow, we have some goats, and we have some chickens. And so just being able to care for creation has been a way where I've found a worshipful experience. Um, I really love to paint. I'm very artistic. Um, and so sometimes if we don't go to church, um, my oldest, her name is Lainey, she and I will go outside and we'll paint and we'll just create something together. And that's um, something that I know that I'm really good at and I'm passionate about and I'm sharing that with my daughter. And just being with her is a worshipful experience in itself. I mean, she grew inside me and the Lord has given her to me. And although she drives me crazy sometimes, it's still like that relationship is a whole new way of understanding God that I never even anticipated. Um, So just being really creative, I'm finding that um, exercising, working out is actually another way that I'm finding that worship. 
um, because I'm I'm learning about myself as a, a created person and how to best honor the gift of my body, that temple that is talked about a lot um, through health and through the way I'm feeding myself and just the way that I'm using my body um, and honoring my body as it is to then like share with others um, that gift of health um, or just being able to play with my kids or be outside and run around whatever it is um, that also is I'm finding myself drawn closer to God through that um, because I'm I'm looking for that experience in all of these different areas yeah so if you don't mind me asking when you were in the thick of it um what was your faith like in those times when you felt like you didn't have you didn't have the family the church family to go through you didn't have a pastor to go to um and you're at your lowest points was your faith i mean i would imagine my lowest point i had so many doubts i can't even tell you um and and that again was something that i felt like i couldn't share with anyone i couldn't say that i doubted anything because then i'm a i'm not a christian um so how how was that for you how was the in the internal conflict for you at all um well being completely transparent here um there wasn't a lot of praying going on um because there was that sense of abandonment and I didn't want to have a conversation with someone that I feel had abandoned me. Um, there, if there was praying going on, it was a lot of like angry screaming kind of praying. Um, cause even still we've been here two years and I still ache for where we used to live and I ache for our old community. Um, so there was a lot of like, why, why are you calling us here? Cause the, the calling that we have to be here is very real and very strong. We both feel like this is the place we should be. However, we both hate it here so much. So it's really hard. So there's a lot of, when prayer was happening, it was a lot of anger that you've brought us to this place and now you're not even allowing me my mental health. And like, why is all of this being compounded at once? There's only so much a person can take and clearly I am not able to take it. And some people kept telling me um, online, like God only gives you what you can handle. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's stop here. Um, So, all of that was really frustrating. I didn't want to hear that anymore. Um, and then just going to church was a really painful experience. Um, and the healing for me has come through understanding the variety of different ways I can worship. Um, and there was never any doubt in my mind that praying and screaming at God was a bad thing. I mean, this is a relationship. We're in relationship with God and part of relationships is anger and part of relationships is frustration and losing your temper. It's all part of that. And he knows that I'm a very human being. So, um, there wasn't any guilt wrapped in that, but it was just, as I started coming out of it, um, the understanding that that was something that I had to go through in my relationship to be able to now get to the place where I currently am in my relationship with God, um, was a really, it was very needed. I needed to know that it was okay to scream at him and I wasn't going to be like sent to hell or whatever people were telling me. Um, I wasn't reading the Bible, um, at all. Um, I picked up a girlfriend, um, told me about the book, Grace, Not Perfection. 
and that was I picked that up ooh, probably in like February of this year um, and that was when I actually kind of started getting back into somewhat of a devotional mindset um, and that also brought a lot of healing um, just in the fact that maybe not the message in the book all the way through was what I agreed with but um, allowing myself that grace and allowing myself to have bad days. Um, fortunately, my husband worked right next door. So if I was having a low, I could call him and say, you know, I really, really need you to come home right now. I'm not able to hold myself together right now. I'm not able to care for our kids right now. And so he could pop down and then I could have whatever time I needed to adjust from that. Um, so all of those things were just, they supported me where I was. Um, and that's when I was able to start kind of rebuilding the positivity of my faith. So I don't think that my faith was, it wasn't gone. It wasn't destroyed. I was still having conversations with God. Um, and that's evidence of faith enough right there, but I was able to start building the positivity back into it, um, slowly but surely. And it's still going on obviously, and something else is going to happen and it's going to go up and down, you know? Um, but my, I just stopped taking my antidepressants. Um, almost three weeks ago. And I've had two pretty rough days um, out of 21, which yeah. isn't too bad. Um, so it's just going to start. I'm going to keep working to see if I can function again and find a sense of normalcy without medicating myself. Yeah. That's neat. I, I love hearing how transparent you are because things like you're saying, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I think so many times people are thinking, like you've said before, they're being so helpful, but it's yeah. the very worst thing that can be said. Yes. <laughs> and, and I, so what would you, what kind of advice would you give for someone that's actually wanting to, like their heart's in the right place and they're wanting to come along someone that's struggling with that? What kind of things could they do or say that might be helpful? Um, so this is, I am a mom and I'm an elementary school teacher, so bear with me here. Um, there were two images that stuck with me through this whole process. Um, and one of them was Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Okay. Um, because Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh is very clearly in a, a depressive state. Mm -hmm. And the people around him, or the characters around him, still, um, they, they surround him in love and they surround him in friendship um, and they surround him in normalcy. And it's just something where they understand that this is, this is who you are. This is part of your life experience right now. And rather try, rather than trying to cheer you up every time I see you or rather than trying to like, change whatever's going on, they just exist with him. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that was really helpful. Um, we don't, I don't have any friends out here still. Um, it's a, an older community and um, I, there's nobody that I really relate to out here. So um, my, my family and my children and my husband, those were my, my people. Um, those were my, like Winnie the Pooh characters. <laughs> um, and they're just that sense of like Alex not trying to come in and fix things, but just understanding that, yeah, having a bad day and then we're gonna we're just gonna function around it because this is gonna have how the day is gonna go um and my kids I mean my kids they can sense that something's wrong but at the same time it's still like 
they're very self-centered because they're little kids and that's how they're supposed to be. Um, so just having life go on without people pity me, that was really helpful. Um, and that's why the Winnie the Pooh thing comes to mind. The other thing um, was when Moana came out, um, at the very end, there's like this volcanic creature coming out and charging this young girl and she's just approaching it with this calm and this peace and she sings this little song to it um and it's something like um they've stolen the heart from inside you but this doesn't define you you know who you are who you truly are and I was just bawling my face off oh my gosh because that that's really what it is is they're through depression, you, you don't feel like yourself. You're there and you know you're inside somewhere, but you can't access yourself. Um, it's like seeing somebody from really far away and not being able to, to ever get to them and having this really dark person come over you. Um, so that metaphor that was there, um, that like feeling that my, myself had been stolen from me, um, and knowing that I am not a depressed, I'm not depressed. Mm -hmm. I am a person who has depression. Um, so not letting it be me, but it's just, it's, this is not my definition. I am not only this person who has depression, I'm so much more than that. But this is just um, one of the phases that I'm going through. This is a cycle. This is a season of my life. Um, and the people who love me, who are around me, they know who I am, who I truly am. And they're holding on to that. And they're through their love for me or I'm slowly going to come back. Um, so if you're trying to help somebody with depression, it's just establishing, I feel like that sense of normalcy and not putting yourself in a place where you're pitying that person because you can feel that. Um, and if somebody's pitying you, then you're like, oh, I must be worse off than I thought I was. Um, and so that's going to get you to spiral down even further. So it's just, it's existing with people and it's loving people regardless and not trying to better the situation or change the situation because it really has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It has everything to do with the struggle, the battle that's going on inside them. And you can't, fix that. You can't change that. You can't win that battle for somebody. They have to win that battle themselves. Um, and you can help them win that battle for themselves, but it's, I think it's only through love and support and not cliches and not like cutesy little this, that, and the others. It's just, just be normal. Just be yourself. Be that friend that you've always been for them. Don't change because all of a sudden they're having a hard time. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice just because I mean, I know a lot of people that would do exactly what you've heard. So with the hope of helping. Now, what, <laughs> advice, what advice would you give someone who's in the thick of it where you've been, like who is still living day to day with struggling with postpartum and is afraid to talk about it, especially in their Christian circles? Mm -hmm. um, just what advice do you have for them? Um, on the good days... I would journal like all the positive things that were happening, all the great things, all the, the things that I had to be happy about. And when I was going through those really deep times, I would just pull that out and be like, yesterday, this is how it was yesterday. So that means that once I'm done with this, once I'm done with today, tomorrow can look like that again. So it was more of a sense of hope. So it was finding something to 
hold on to within myself. Um, I have, I got this book for Christmas. Um, it's called 52 lists of happiness. And every week there's a new list. It gives you a little topic at the top and you just make a list of everything that has to do with that topic that brings happiness to you. And then at the end of the week, there's a call to action on how you can capitalize on that happiness. Um, so on the, the good days, I would pull that out and I would write and write, 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 so that I could pull that out on the bad days. Um, the other thing is um, you have to find somebody to be transparent with. Um, for me, that was my husband um, and just like letting him know I'm having a bad day and he just say, okay. And then he could come in and take care of what needed to be taken care of. And I could, my place was the closet. I'd go and curl up in the back corner of the closet and just cry myself to sleep. Um, so, ha but having somebody who understands what is happening and who can help take care of the, the other things that need to be taken care of. Um, because when you're in that state, you, you can't take care of anything, right? There's no desire to take care of yourself or anybody else. You just, you shut down, you stop. So making sure that you're open enough with somebody that they can help take care of the things that you can't take care of while you're, you're there. But you need to create an anchor for yourself um, because that's the only way that you can really try and pull yourself out. And some days it works really well and some days it doesn't work at all. Um, but on the days that it does work, right, that's something that you can also then reflect on. I, I did really well. This is how I coped with this. Now I can internalize how I did that so that I have this tool so that the next time I'm going down this road, I can use that tool in my toolbox. So you can be told all of the different things, but not everything works for every person. So finding that tool that's gonna help you the most pull yourself out of that state, um, I think is really, really important. Okay, that, I liked that. Did you have any questions that you wanna ask before I ask um, more? I think we went over all of it. In the beginning, you said that um, there was a time where you, you went to seek help and they said, wait for four months, you know, and then they, they push you off again. And then you went and saw the psychiatrist. Did they put you on antidepressants? And then a while later you went to like therapy and counseling? Yeah. So, um, it was, I went in May initially and got the diagnosis. I was put on antidepressants in October and I started therapy in January. Do you feel like the antidepressants helped you until you got to therapy? Do you feel like therapy helps you a lot more? Do you think both of them together is what helped pull you out of it? Or, or what was the defining factor for you? Um, antidepressants definitely helped. Um, they kept me from having a wider range of motions. So they took away the low lows, but they also took away the high highs. So it was just kind of this um, state of mediocrity emotionally that I was living in. Um, but that was enough to help me function in my job and function. Um, so I started them before I gave birth, knowing that because I had been struggling with postpartum depression and I was just barely a year postpartum, mm -hmm. um, I was going to have postpartum again, most likely. So um, we started the antidepressants as a countermeasure for when I actually delivered. Um, so it made the whole delivery experience really interesting because um, 
there wasn't that like extreme joy that I felt with my first pregnancy or my first labor um, because of the antidepressant, but it helped me get through those first couple weeks. Um, she was born the end of November and my husband's a pastor. So like beginning of Advent. So he was busy the entire time that I was going through the first couple weeks of her life. So um, it helped me get through those as I was dealing with an 18 month old and a newborn by myself um, in a community where we didn't have support. Um, and then when I started doing therapy, um, it did help because I was talking about these really painful experiences, but I wasn't able to like feel that really low, low. Um, so I was able to talk about it. I feel a lot more honestly and openly because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to not function afterwards because I'd psyched myself into this place, you know? Um, so I think the combination of the two was what I needed. I really didn't want to medicate. I fought it and I fought it and I fought it. But after waiting for so long for therapy and not receiving those services, something had to happen. And if it had to be medication, then it had to be medication. Um, so I stayed on that um, all through therapy. And then I also stayed on it through the rest of the school year. Um, and then end of June, middle of June maybe, is when um, I asked my psychiatrist if I could start weaning myself off. Um, and he said yes. So it's just slowly but surely, every couple weeks, I took less and less and less until now I'm not on any. Um, and I definitely feel a difference. Um, my full range of emotions are back. Um, so when the low came the other day, it was <laughs> really low. And I hadn't been able to sink that deep in a really long time. Um, but this time, because of therapy, because I had been able to be so open and um, stable emotionally through that whole process, I had more tools to use to be able to help myself when I was really deep down. Right on. That's really cool. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you fought your way through it because I know a lot of people, they just don't look for support. They don't have anyone to be open and honest with and they just try to do it themselves and it just a lot of times just gets worse. And they don't yes. want to admit they have a problem and they don't talk to anyone about it and they just seclude themselves. So I'm very happy. Do you have, did you, did the support online that you were writing about, did that help you get through it? Did it create a sense of community and like, okay, other women are feeling this and like it, it kind of put, pulled you back up in the rough times? Yes. Um, that, it, it's like online dating, but for friends. <laughs> um, so in a, a situation that I'm in where, um, where my husband's a pastor, you can't have friends in your church when your husband's a pastor because everyone's looking to like get information about your life. So in a situation where I'm not able to create friends in the setting that we're in, um, it was something that was very necessary. I am a very introverted person and I do not mind being by myself. Um, I need that time alone to be able to recharge my battery to do the normal things. Um, but there's a difference between that and like total seclusion. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a recognition that I need to find other people to talk to. Um, and so I'm 
finding through this whole social media process that just sticking myself, sticking my neck out there and just saying whatever I need to say, people come find you. Um, and they owe me too. And then they'll message me and share their whole story and we'll find things that we relate to. And, um, there are a couple women that I connected with very deeply and we created this pod on Instagram. Um, and so we check in with each other every single day and we, okay, I'm having a really low day. I'm going to be out. And then when you pop back in, having all of these messages of love, just filling your inbox. Um, it's really, it's a, a good thing. And if you're in a situation like mine where you, you don't have the support that you need with your immediate circle, um, it's a really good way to find people. And it's a really non-threatening way to find people. Um, there's that confidence that you have when you're talking to somebody, you're not directly in front of them, you know? Yeah. So um, it creates a space for you to feel like you can be a lot more open than you normally would with somebody that you've never met. Mm -hmm. um so there's an element of bravery and courage there um so that was just that was such a needed element and it really has helped it helped me get through those lows but it has also helped me on this other side as I'm climbing up um and I'm still talking about it and still being very open with it and I'm still having women who are down in in the low of it contacting me and wanting to talk about it and and just it's a very healing thing and now that I'm coming out of it, um, being able to look back on my journey and now help other women and help pull them through it as well. Um, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Now this, I have a question that's not necessarily postpartum related, but yes. it's not so much that I, I feel like we should say something about it. What in the world can people know about not putting their pastors and their pastor wives as excluded from real life? <sighs> Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I just can't understand. I mean, where we are at, I, I know what it is because I've been in churches that that has definitely been the case and where we're at, I feel like we're friends with our pastors and their families and things like that. Um, and we've seen them at low points and we've seen them at high points and we've shared all of that, but it breaks my heart to hear and to think how many pastors wives can't enjoy community within their church where they should be welcomed and embraced and that should be the place where people are wrapping their arms around you and yeah. loving you and just being Jesus and it's just yeah. the worst spot for you like that hurts my heart that the people that are serving us the most feel like they can't be themselves around us yeah it's it's really difficult. And there's another, I sound like this crazy online junkie, but I'm not. <laughs> um, but I have another support group of pastors wives from around the country. Um, I would think you would need it. Yeah. Online. Um, because that's, it's a Facebook group and there's a lot of women that, um, when I was, we were back in North Carolina when my husband was going to seminary, we had a group that met every Tuesday and it was all women of men who were going to become pastors. And so mm -hmm. we, we're really each other's support through that whole process. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen my husband in eight days because he's studying for finals. How are you? Um, so a lot of those same women are in this community with me, um, but that's where I've kind of had to find it. And that's where I can talk very openly about just the experience with church. And I can talk very openly about things that are happening in the church that are really like wearing on me or wearing on Alex, therefore they're wearing on me. Um, so that's how I've tried to combat that. But, 
um, I just, I don't know. I think there's this idea of false reverence that people have for pastors and pastors' families um, that is not fair at all whatsoever, but for whatever reason, that's what it is. Um, and because of that, if we show the sign, like slightest sign of, of any kind of weakness, then um, it means something about what we believe in. I don't know. I don't understand it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. If I don't sing, then there's something wrong. If I don't sit in this particular pew, there's something wrong. My daughter is two years old, so she is just a nightmare right now and she throws tantrums in the middle of church because everybody looks at her and she's just this cute little thing that everyone gets attention to all the time and that's a problem and yeah. everything is problematic because oh, I'm perfect I'm like y'all you really think Mary Mother Jesus like this even bird <laughs> perfect human being because I'm here to tell you she wasn't Good gracious Right. I full on have had my moments. I love reading about Mary because I'm like, I could see her being like, Jesus, sit your ass down. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, <that's> <laughs> Absolutely. And I definitely feel since he did have humanity in him that he was probably a little sassing too. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yes. Well, any, anything else for no, I want, if you don't mind telling us what you're doing now, because I know you've talked about your exercise, but I want mm -hmm. people to know how they can get in touch with you and what you're doing, because you're such an active part of helping people transform their lives. Um, tell us more about that and where they can connect with you. Okay. Um, so right now I am called a coach, but I'm not really a coach. I'm more of a fitness motivator. <laughs> Um, so if you are looking to find a program that you can fit into your busy lifestyle, um, a way to balance your nutrition and just kind of align yourself with, um, health and fitness goals, um, you can find me on Instagram under Carrie works out, or you can find me on Facebook under Carrie Powell. Um, and I would love to just talk to you about where you are in your life journey and where you are in your health and fitness journey. Um, I hold success groups every single month and we have a different focus. And so like this month we're focusing on, um, starting our mornings with affirmations and remembering what our, our reasons are for wanting to be fit and wanting to be healthy. Um, we're focusing on how to make sure that we're balancing our diet so that we are really focused on fueling our body the way it should be fueled and honoring the gift that we've been given with what we're putting into our bodies um, and then being really positive about our exercise um, and not looking at it as a punishment but looking at it as a gift it's something that you get to do with this body that functions the way it does you actually can move you can do these things and so we're going to do them because you have that ability um, so just looking at exercise and from like a very positive um, standpoint, a very positive mindset, and um, and you do this all within community, right? You have like yes, it's all with other like-minded women um, 
who are dealing with the same thing. So a lot of the women in my group are going through postpartum depression or who um, are newly postpartum or who are working moms or all of the things that I'm trying to juggle in my life. Um, I have this community of women who are also trying to do the same thing and better themselves with their health and fitness journey. So uh, I would love to talk to you about it. Um, it's really, it's a special thing for me. Um, and that's, I've also been very transparent with my journey through that as well. Um, because I have this label of coach, people think that I'm like perfectly healthy, just like with the pastor thing. And it's like, no, I have days too. I don't want to work out. I don't want to do this. I like hamburgers, like all of this stuff falls into place with it. Um, so it's just, it's a place where we can be very honest with each other and very open with each other and then make sure that we're helping each other reach our goals. Um, because kind of sucks doing it by yourself so it's nice to work out with friends and if you can't actually be in the gym with your friend working out you might as well do it in a, a community that way yeah and I can say that she's fantastic I have been in her groups she is an excellent motivator if you couldn't tell from the podcast already she's the person you want to have with you um and again she is on Instagram at Carrie works out right out. yep Facebook at Carrie Powell p-o-w-e-l-l um, well, thank you so much for talking with us and for being so open and for covering so many hard topics. Um, I'm excited to hear what comes of this and what people think. Um, and also the women that I know that are struggling with this, with this and needed someone to put words to their thoughts. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Um, and like she said, if you're in that spot, she likes to talk to you as well. So I'm, I hope um, that people will reach out to you if that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Thank you so much for making the time. Um, and yeah, we will hopefully talk to you soon. We'd love to have you on again sometime and talk more Christianity because I feel like there's so much more we can have discussed on that. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, that would be really nice. That would be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And like I said, if anyone needs to talk to her, let's have them um, reach out. Yep. Yeah.